ಪಾರ್ಥಯ ಪ್ರತಿಬೋಧಿ ಭಗವತಾರಾಯಣ ಸ್ವಯಂ ವ್ಯಾಸೇನಗ್ರಸಿ ಪುರಾಣ ಮುನಿ ಮಧ್ಯೆ ಮಹಾಭಾರತ ಅದ್ವೈತಮೃತವರ್ಷಿಣಿ ಭಗವತಿ ಅಷ್ಟಾಧ್ಯಾ ಅಂಬತ್ವಾಮನುಸಂದಿ ಭಗವದ್ಗೀತೆಷಿಣಿ ಯ್ರಹ್ಮವರುಣೇಂದ್ರರುದ್ರಮರುತ ಸ್ತುನ್ವಂತಿ ದಿವ್ಯೈಸ್ತವೈ ವೇದೈಸ್ಸಾಂಗಪದಕ್ರಮೋಪನಿಷದೈ ಗಾಯಂತಿ ಸಾಮಗಾಹ್ಯಾನವಸ್ಥಿತಗತೇನ ಮನಸಾ ಪಶ್ಯಂತಿ ಯೋಗಿನ ಯಾಂತನ್ನ ವಿದುಸುರಸುರಗಣ In the verses yesterday, we discussed how Lord shows Tasmat Apariharyese Nittvam Shoshitu Marhasi. In three verses, Lord Krishna said, Nanu Shoshitu Marhasi, you, therefore, it is not proper for you to grieve. Mahabaho Naivam Shoshitu Marhasi. He Mahabaho, O long-armed one, meaning O power, O strong one, in this manner it is not proper that you are grieving apariharyate natvam shoshitu marhasi that which cannot be avoided there also grief is not in place <coughs> and as far as all these physical entities are concerned they have come from the unmanifest go back into unmanifest remain manifest for a period of time this is the nature meaning that they are not real this is the kind of reality that they enjoy So what is the lamentation with reference to these entities which come and go, which means which do not enjoy any lasting reality. <coughs> All of this is said from what we call Paramasik or the point of view of reality. <coughs> that we find Arjuna grieving is a fact also. That means that all this grief arises from ignorance. This is what is shown here. That if one knows the nature of the self as described here, there is no cause for grief because self is not subject to birth and death therefore it cannot cause grief and what is called non-self follows its laws meaning it is subject to birth and death and that is a fact of life self is not subject to death and therefore there is no room for grief and non-self cannot be prevented from death because that is a fact about it and therefore also there is no cause for grief because it is a fact of life and one should learn the facts of life and learn to deal with them without grieving about them <coughs> so arjuna might felt how come again and again i am being told you should not grieve this is not proper for you to grieve look this is the reason why you should not grieve uh, that perhaps intensifies the grief you know it's possible sometimes it happens that you understand that you should not grieve and you find yourself grieving and sometimes that that multiplies the pain perhaps lord krishna also may have found on the expressions of the face of arjuna that he feels how come you are taunting me how come you are saying this to me again and again i am not the only one in the world who is grieving 
There are many learned people who are also found to be greedy. I am not the only one, then how come I am alone being told again and again? And so Lord Krishna gives me consolation in the sense that it is not your fault that you are grieving. It is ignorance because of which your grief is, which is what we want you to understand. That this grief will not go by any other efforts, but it will go only by elimination of ignorance. <coughs> but that you do not know the self or that you are ignorant of the self also is understandable because it is extremely difficult to know. Durvignyeha ayamatma. Since the self that is under discussion is durvignyeha, extremely difficult to know, and therefore that Arjuna does not know, and therefore that he is grieving, all of this is quite okay in that sense. Except also that it should be understood that grief will not go unless the knowledge is gained. But it is difficult to gain this knowledge. How? That's how Lord describes in the verse 29 the wonder that the knowledge is and the wonder that the self is and wonder that the knower is. <coughs> Says in the verse 29 Ascharivat Paschadikaschidenam Ascharivat Vadadi Tathaivachanya Ascharivat Chaina Manyashranodi Shrutvapyenam Vedana Chaiva Kaschida Kaschid Enamatmanam Ascharivat Pashadi. Kaschid someone, some rare one. Pashadi sees Enamatmanam, sees the self Ascharivat like a wonder. So there is some rare one who in fact sees or knows the self, meaning there are not many who know the self. So one who is a knower of the self is indeed a wonder. <coughs> Because that knowledge must have occurred as a result of his having uh, gone to the teacher, meaning he's having acquired the necessary qualifications, and which itself is a great accomplishment to acquire the necessary qualifications, like sadhana chatushtya sampatti, viveka vairagya, samadhi shatka sampatti, all that we discussed in the morning, to acquire that qualification itself is a great accomplishment which one acquires in course of countless lives. We accumulate the merit in every life and thus slowly and slowly we acquire these qualities in the mind which are required for it to abide and gain this knowledge. And therefore the one who even goes to the teacher, Shravanayabhi Bahubhiryona Labhyaha That one goes to the teacher to know the self, itself is a great wonder. Because for most people, they don't even know that it is a, such an entity is called self or God. And for most people it does not matter. Their priorities are different. They are too preoccupied with many other things in life which they think are more important. And therefore, for most people, this subject, this knowledge doesn't have any importance or priority. Manushyanam sahasreshu kasid yadadisidhe It is one rare among the thousands or countless that even attempts to gain this knowledge. And so such a person is a rare one. Of the one, so yatatamapisiddhanam kaschinmam vetti tattvaraha. And of the many who are attempting to gain this knowledge, who are striving to gain the knowledge, among them also it is one rare one who actually gains the knowledge of the self as it is. So in Bhagavad Gita, elsewhere in the seventh chapter, also Lord Krishna points out 
the the how rare it is for someone to gain this knowledge and never kashit kashit means someone some rare one he sees the self because having acquired those qualifications having developed that what we call jignasa meaning a desire to know the self approaching the teacher meaning giving up everything else to approach the teacher seeking the knowledge meaning burning all the boards as you might say giving up all other connections of security etc and then he goes that means the one who is totally dedicated and committed to this knowledge and then also subject oneself to shravanam listening to it mananam nididhyasanam and whatever else is needed in order to gain the knowledge in order to gain the clarity and in order to gain an abundance it is a total commitment a total submission to this pursuit of knowledge as a result of that one gains the knowledge and thus it is a, a rare person indeed who gains the knowledge so the one who gains the knowledge is indeed rare <coughs> he is ashcharya he is a wonder because again knowing is is a different kind of a thing as we discussed in kenopanishad this knowledge is not the knowledge of ordinary objects not like objective knowledge where you can objectify something where you can conceptualize something it is a knowledge of the very subject knowledge of the very self who is to be known as in an inobjective way <coughs> and therefore also this knowing itself is a wonder so the knower is a wonder and even the knowing itself is wonder because this is a unique kind of a knowledge and then what is known namely self also is a wonder <coughs> atma is a wonder so ascharivat pashyati pashyati means sees one some rare one the wise man sees the self as though possessed of a great wonder so self is indeed a wonderful thing in as much as he sees it he sees that that the one who is in fact the non doer or actionless is as though performing all the actions one who is without any limitation as though appears to be limited the self is indeed a wonder how the limitless self appears to be limited how the one who is devoid of all the limitations and grief experiences all the grief and pain and suffering and the samsara how does it happen it is a wonder without actually doing anything as though the self does everything without experiencing anything as though it experiences everything this is a wonder so wonder about the self is that even though he is actionless as though he performs all the actions he is changeless even then he seems to be the basis of all the changes he is ex- without he doesn't have any experiencership and even though he seems to experience everything sarvendriya gunabhasam sarvendriya vivarjitam asaktam sarvabhutcheva nirgunam gunabhoktucha one who is devoid of all the sense organs and sins too appears to be functioning through all the sense organs one who sees without the eyes one who hears without the ears one who pervades everything without legs one who grasps everything without hands this is a wonder so that itself is indeed a wonder and this is how the wise man sees the self or knows the self as something that is a great wonder so lord krishna says everything is a wonder the self is a wonder and the knower of the self is a wonder 
and the knowing also is a wonder because it is something very rare. <coughs> so it is said, Asterivat Pashari Kastidenam, some rare one sees the self which is wonderful or sees it like a wonder. Then Asteryavat Vadadi Tasayavacha Anya. Anya, there is another one. Really the same one. The one who knows the self alone, Vadati, he speaks also like it's a great wonder. Meaning the other one, who is yet another rare one, who speaks of the self, is also a wonder. Because all those who know the self do not necessarily speak about it. Most people do not wish to be bothered about it because they are, they revel in their own self and therefore they are there. No doubt their very presence is a blessing. But they don't necessarily come out in order to, you know, in order to teach or talk about it. And even if such great ones come out, no, most people would not even recognize them. And therefore most people would not even approach them. And therefore, to have such a one who has the knowledge and who accepts even uh, imparting this knowledge and that one is recognized by other people as the one who knows and thus people approaching him and thus a setup to take place where a wise man actually imparts this knowledge to the seekers is something of a rare phenomenon. Because usually wise people won't be recognized by most people. Because we always want to evaluate people from our own criteria, our own standards. And we find them weird and we find unusual and stuff like that, you know. And therefore, most people dismiss them. Or what they say also is, uh, sounds very weird and that is also dismissed. And therefore, that there is an occasion for talking about the self itself is, is a wonder. And so, Ascharyava Dvadati Tathayava Chanyaha Another one, also a wise one, he speaks of the self that is a wonder. And even speaking of the self also is a wonder. Because how do you describe the self? How do you describe Brahman? That which is described by Shruti or the Vedas themselves as beyond words. Because no word can really describe. And thus it is indescribable. And still through the words it is unfolded. That's a wonder. That which does not form the direct meaning of the words is nevertheless communicated through the agency of words. Because how else do you communicate? Although true, it is said about Dakshinamurti, Maunavyakya Prakatita Parabrahma Tattvam. Dakshinamurti communicates the Param Tattva by Maunavyakya, by silent sermon. That is okay. But then most teachers communicate through words. It is true that the words are those which only the purpose of the words is to expound the silence. And purpose of the words also is to communicate the silence which is where the words originate from and which is what the words unfold. But still, that very silence of the self that is silence is also communicated through words. And to the students, that itself is a wonder. It's really a wonder that something which is beyond expression is nevertheless expressed in the words. The teacher articulates and through various paradoxes, through various illustrations and through various logic and analysis and so forth and so on, he communicates with the student and enables the student to see. This is indeed a wonder. So, not only the knower of the self is a wonder, certainly, but the speaker 
or the teacher of the self is yet a greater wonder. And therefore, most people are not able to even have teachers because to have such a one is a wonder. Ascharyavat vadadi tathayavach anyaha. And how the words convey, it's, the words do not convey in what we call a, by the direct meaning, vachyasa, words convey by what they call lakshyasa or the implied meaning. But the student understands the implication. And how, when the mind is prepared, when that purity of the mind is there, and when the samskara or this, this training of listening and contemplation is there, then that mind understands or grasps what is conveyed through this word grasp, what we call the implied meaning conveyed by the words. Ascharivat vadaditha tathaivat anyaha Ascharivat chainam anyashranodhi He says the one who listens to the self, even that also is a wonder. So speaking is a wonder, listening is yet another wonder. Who is there, who is, who, who is interested in listening to this? So the listener or the jignasu, the desire of knowledge, is also a wonder. As we said earlier, it is one rare one who would want to know because it is a rare one who would have the priority for this knowledge. And that he or she subjects the self to this learning is, is a wonder. Ascharivachainam anyashranoti shrutvapi enam veda and that, having listened to this, that one comes to know is yet a wonder. So, wise man is wonder, and the teacher is yet a wonder, and student is a wonder, and the student, having listened to this, comes to know is a great wonder. And therefore, Arjuna, if you do not know the self, it is not a wonder. If you know it, it is a wonder. That Arjuna came to Lord Krishna is a wonder. After all, Arjuna and Lord Krishna were great friends. They were together for the whole life. And never so far did Arjuna ever ask for this knowledge. And Lord Krishna also did not see the occasion to talk about it because unless there is a desire to know, there is no point in merely uh, talking about something for which there is no value. Unless there is a need for it. And such a need was never recognized by Arjuna. That today Arjuna found a need for this knowledge. And then he came to the teacher and surrendered to him and has now submitted himself to this listening. His whole thing is a wonder. But that wonder will be really fulfilled when Shratva Peram Veda that when one comes to know having listened to the scriptures that is a great wonder. Nachayiva Kastida And there are there are some who in spite of listening also they do not know. That not knowing is not a wonder. Knowing is a wonder. Because there are so many obstacles to knowledge. And when would knowledge take place? Knowledge would take place when the various obstacles are removed. All the obstacles are internal. Many obstacles are there. Ignorance is the first obstacle. Various doubts are other obstacles. What to call the Hathabuddhi, the habitual error is yet another obstacle. So there are many obstacles to this knowledge. And only when the obstacles are removed, that the knowledge will take place. <coughs> and so it is said also, that knowledge does not take place until the antahkaranam or the mind becomes pure. So, jnana mutpadyade pumsam, kshayat papasya karmana. It is said, when papa karma, 
meaning all the kind of negative actions which we have performed in the past, they themselves become the obstacles to us. So things that we may have done, which we, have, we may have violated certain order, we may have violated various values because of being prompted by certain fascinations or temptations. And so we may have performed any number of actions wherein the basic values may have been violated, which we may call sinful actions. And those very actions become the obstacle today and they come in the way of this knowledge. So really the knowledge takes place when all the obstacles are removed. This process is nothing but removal of obstacles. Ignorance is an obstacle. Doubt, samshaya, obstacles. Habitual error, obstacles. So as the obstacles are removed, the knowledge can take place. It is possible that for someone the obstacles are removed as the shravanam takes place. For someone, it may happen in the future. And never shratvapenam vedana chayivakaschit there is someone who does not know in spite of having gone to the teacher and in spite of listening to the scriptures. It is not a wonder. One will not know or this knowledge will not take place until the obstacles are there. And therefore, gaining this knowledge is indeed a wonder. So in this verse, Lord Krishna means to say that Atma Durvigneha, the self is indeed extremely difficult to know. And therefore, Arjuna need not feel bad in that sense that he does not know. One need not feel bad because there is grief, because it accept, expected. They, that one is ignorant is not one's fault because that is a natural thing. Had I not been ignorant, I would not have been born. So ignorance is beginningless. Nobody has created it and nobody has worked for it. Everybody has it. So that I am ignorant is not my fault. On account of ignorance, that I have various notions and complexes also is not my fault. That I have various likes and dislikes and impurities is not my fault at all. And therefore there are obstacles in this knowledge, not my fault. And therefore that I do not necessarily know in spite of listening to it, not my fault. So it is said that Pavan of Purnyana Shravanam Kuryat, again and again, one never should feel that I have listened now. Gita Swami I have listened. Tattva Bodha I have listened. Atma Bodha, I have listened. As somebody said to one Swamiji, Swamiji, I have listened to all Upanishads. All Gita, I have listened to everything. I have gone through all Upanishads. You know, the person says. And that Swamiji asks him, You have gone through the Upanishads all right, but have Upanishads gone through you? You know. <laughs> so, in spite of going through everything, we seem to remain as before, unaffected completely. These things have to go through us then alone it serves a purpose. And therefore, that I have listened, well, is, is like completing a certain curriculum, you know. Like you go to universities and there is a curriculum that you study this, this, this text and then you are, you are declared a graduate student or whatever you are. This is not that kind of a thing. One is to continue, continue to pursue. And how long? As long as it is required. As say when you are digging, for digging a well, how long should you keep on digging until you get water? When will the water come? Depends upon the soil. So sometimes water, you may strike water at the depth of 20 feet, sometimes 200 feet, and you may have to go 2000 feet also to strike water. Depends upon the soil. If it's desert, God knows whether there is water there or not. You know, It has to be there someplace. And therefore, how long should you strive 
as long as is required. And for someone to feel that I have listened to the scriptures, that I don't need, there is something wrong somewhere. If I feel that I don't need to listen to this, there will be something wrong someplace, you know, because I have lost interest. And if I lose interest in, in listening about the self, that means my interest have changed. Or some kind of an interest I have, my priorities are different. One has to address oneself to this. Anyway, but it is, therefore, that all these are obstacles. They are all part of obstacles, that you lose interest. Patanjali describes many kinds of obstacles that seekers have on their past. One of the obstacles to believe that I know, that is also another obstacle. Then, uh, taking wrong thing to be right, yet another obstacle. Uh, or thinking that I don't need it, yet another obstacle. And laziness, and lethargy, and sickness, and all kinds of things are obstacles which are there. And everyone comes across his obstacles, and one has to strive. And often, the only way to get rid of the obstacles is by prayer to Lord. Whatever we need, certain qualities, we don't have it, we pray for it. I don't have shraddha, the trust, I pray for it. My mind is not supporting me or, or uh, cooperating with me, I pray. So when we find that things are not in our hands, we pray and we seek the strength and grace. But the point is that different kinds of obstacles come and we have to deal with them. And when the obstacles are removed, then the knowledge takes place. And therefore, it is a rare thing to gain this knowledge. Ataha durbodha atmaitya Atma durbodha. The self is extremely difficult to know. This is what is the purport of this verse. And therefore, that there is grief also is understandable. As I said, if obstacles are there, they are there. No, it is not our fault at all. Our fault is if you don't address them. To have difficulties is no, diffi- no problem at all. Or it is not our fault. But then when we don't do something about it, that it becomes a problem. <coughs> this was to console Arjuna. Don't worry. It is difficult to know and therefore that you keep on striving and, and working at it. <coughs> and now in the 30th verse, Asaidanim, Parakaranartham Upasamharan Brute. In the 30th verse now, Lord Krishna concludes this Prakaranartha. What is the artha? What's the purport of this chapter? That when the knowledge of the self is gained, that there is no cause of grief. Ashochyan Anvashochastvam. You are grieving for that which should not be grieved for. Are you grieving for the self? Well, self does not deserve to be grieved for because it is nitya. It is changeless. It is beyond birth and death. How can you grieve for self? Are you grieving for for non-self? Well, that also you should not grieve for because then the non-self is subject to death, etc. is a fact of life and when you understand that fact of life again, there is no cause for grief. So both ways Lord Krishna has shown here how either the self or the non-self, none of it, none of the two can become the cause of grief when we understand them. And this teaching is concluded in the 30th verse. <coughs> Dehi nityam vadhyavam Dehi sarvasya bharata tasmat sarvani bhutani natvam shochitu marhasi Dehi nityam avadhyah ayam Ayam dehi nityam niyatam avadhyah This dehi Dehi means shariri, the embodied one 
So one who dwells in the body is called Deha is body. Body means Deha. And the one who dwells in the body is called Dehi. The indweller of the body. And the self is sometimes called the Dehi or the indweller. Not because the self really dwells within the body, but the self manifests through the body. And therefore, we feel that the self dwells within the body. It creates an impression that Atma or the self is within. It is neither within nor without, it is both within and without. And still, since individual feels that the self is as though within, therefore, Atma is called the embodied one. So this Dehi, Shariri, meaning the self, Nityam Avadhyaya. Nityam means Sarvada, all the time Avadhyaya. Sarvasu api avasthasu. In any condition or in any state, this self is avadhyaya. Avadhyaya means the one who cannot be destroyed, one who cannot be killed. Self cannot be killed in any condition. In any condition means in waking, in dream or deep sleep or in any condition such as uh, whether uh, any condition of the body, any condition of mind, any condition in time, place or situation, in no condition is a self subject to death. It cannot be killed. Niravayatvat nityatvat Because Atma the self is partless. It's not, in a, it's not a composite self. A composite assembly <coughs> will perish when the components fall apart. Or anything that is made up of different components, parts, if the parts are again fall apart, that assembly will, will be destroyed. Nirvayatvat, <coughs> Atma is not an assembly, it is not a composite thing, it is partless, meaning it is pure, it is formless. Nityatvat, not subject to birth and death, and therefore it cannot be destroyed, it cannot be killed. Nobody can kill it. <coughs> that was already said earlier. Nobody can ever bring about vinasha or destruction of the self. <coughs> so Niravayatvat Avadhya Nityatvacha Tatra Avadhya Dehe Sarvasya Bharata How many embodied selves are there in all these bodies? In all the bodies there is only one embodied self. As I said, in all the buckets there is only one sun that is reflected. So even though there may be a thousand buckets lying there and thousand reflections, how many entities really are there? Only one. And similarly also, although we have countless bodies, both mobile and immobile, so many bodies are there. Even the plants and trees, all of them are also living souls. And everywhere the self is. How many self is? One alone. So one self that simultaneously appears to dwell in all the bodies is indestructible because it is all pervasive. It was said earlier, Sarvagatattvat savaradishu sthitahapi And therefore, anywhere the self is indestructible. Tasmat sarvani bhutani Meaning that when even when dehe sarvasya bharata even when the body is destroyed, the self is never destroyed. This is the idea. 
the self who dwells in all the bodies, who is partless, who is changeless, who is all-pervasive, is, cannot be destroyed or is never destroyed even when the body or the bodies are destroyed. And that being the case, tasmat sarvani bhutani natvam shochitam marhasi. And therefore, you feel that when these people will die, that the self will die, that atma will die, no. Atma never dies and therefore, if you are worried about the, if you are grieving because the self will die, that is not going to happen even when the bodies die, the self does not die and therefore, natvam shochitam marhasi. Arjuna, you should not grieve because self does not deserve your grief. It doesn't get affected and therefore there is no cause, no reason why you should grieve about the self. <coughs> so these twenty verses, from eleventh to the thirtieth verses, is the uh, primary teaching in the second chapter, teaching pertaining to the nature of the self. Here the Lord has presented in these verses what we call Atma Anatma Viveka, discrimination between the self and non-self. And what is said in Tattva Bodha? Sthula Sukshma Karana Sarirat Vyatarikta The self is distinct from the gross, subtle and the causal bodies. That very discrimination, that very Viveka is presented in these twenty verses by showing how the self is changeless, eternal and the non-self which consists of the gross, subtle and the causal bodies that is ever-changing and so <clears throat> and self is ever-changeless. Thus this discrimination is shown and when the self is known as such that there is no cause for grief. <clears throat> and this is what we call the universal problem. This teaching applies to everyone. No one is free because even though apparently Arjuna is addressed because he is grieving, but who is not grieving? Everybody is grieving, everybody is sad actually. Every ignorant person is bound to be sad. Even though now and then we may laugh, which is fine, when you forget the sadness. But constantly I am aware of that self which I find limited, self which I find inadequate, unacceptable, and therefore I cannot but be unhappy about it. Only on the moments when I forget that unhappy self or when I forget these complexes because my mind gets occupied with something else, those are the moments when I forget, then I find myself happy. But otherwise, every time I am conscious of myself, I am always conscious of a self that is limited. And therefore, there is always that sadness, sorrow is always there in one form or the other, constantly in the background. And therefore, everyone is grieving, everyone is sad, and everyone is sad about the self. Why am I sad? Because I am so-and-so. I am little, insignificant, worthless, and what not. And thus, we keep on condemning the self again and again. Most of the grief in case of individuals comes because of the self is unacceptable. There is no great esteem about myself. There is a self-condemnation or self-rejection. And that causes sadness or grief. And that grief arises from ignorance of the self. Self is not condemnable. It is not something that is small. And that teaching is presented in these twenty verses. And therefore, this addresses the fundamental human problem of grief. It's called shoka in Sanskrit, which arises from moha or ignorance. From ignorance arises grief, 
and that is a universal human problem and that is it may not be the problem of animals we don't know that they are suffering because they are not self-conscious and therefore they seem to accept themselves as they are but human being never accepts the self as he or she finds it <clears throat> always wants to change always wants to be different that itself shows a non self non-acceptance and this problem is addressed here and thus these 20 verses addressed as i said the fundamental human problem or the universal problem <clears throat> now in several verses lord addresses arjuna specifically so we say that there are two problems one is the fundamental problem which is which is which is a human problem equally applicable to all the human beings and second is what we may call situational or topical problem which arises in a given situation that problem also we have in the background is always fundamental problem on the foreground is what we call situational problem because we are constantly presented with different situations and very often we find ourselves confused or in conflict as to what to do and ever not only there is a fundamental sorrow there but the situation creates further sorrow also a variety of guilts and variety of hurts are created and that problem also needs to be addressed very often the situational problem has to be addressed first before we can address the fundamental problem because person's mind is so upset and so disturbed with the situational problem that is not ready to address itself to the fundamental problem and this is also a very common situation that vedanta does not help many people because people are not ready for them other things are important yeah but how about this how about the fact that i don't have a job or how about you know that somebody told me this and somebody treated me like this and somebody said this and somebody did not. so those things are so overwhelming generally speaking i don't have this sense of deprivation and all of these we are suffering is so much that sometimes that situational or topical problem has to be addressed first that therapy is first required before even person gets ready to apply oneself or address oneself to the fundamental problem and therefore that situational problem will have to be addressed for every individual case in this case lord krishna addresses arjuna as far as his situational or topical problem is concerned whether should i fight this battle or not so arjuna's problem is he understands that he is a kshatriya meaning he belongs to the warrior caste or the the warrior class he belongs to the warrior class and the duty of the warrior or kshatriya is to protect the dharma protect the virtue and therefore really the arjuna represents the side of the uh, that side which stands for dharma or righteousness and the opposite enemy stands for that side which represents generally speaking the adharma <coughs> and therefore this is what they call dharma yuddha yuddha the battle for protection of dharma for protection of righteousness because it is believed that only when there is dharma or or the moral order in the society then the society will be protected if there is no moral moral order in the society then society that will destroy so what destroy the society in fact is adharma or the the uh, the unrighteousness or the immorality 
So when the moral order breaks down, the society is sure to break down. And to protect the society, what is necessary is to protect that order, which is called dharma or righteousness, the basic values of life. They should be protected. And that is why here this particular battle is essentially intended to protect the dharma and it is also necessary that when you cannot correct a person, the first attempt should always be to correct the person. To harm or destroy should be the very last resort. But according to the story in Mahabharata, all possible attempts were made to advise the enemy, to correct the enemy, and still no efforts were successful. In fact, that fellow was very adamant in, in having a battle, and therefore these people were choice. There was no choice at all. So this is essentially a choiceless battle. It is not the battle which the Pandavas have or Arjuna and his side has actually created. It is something that they find themselves in. So Arjuna finds himself, Pandavas find themselves in a situation of battle and they are forced to respond to that situation. <clears throat> and therefore, at this point, it is a dharma, it is his duty, in fact, to fight. Fighting is not the duty, protection of dharma is a duty. And that protection in this case calls for fighting against the enemy. <clears throat> therefore, this battle is called dharma yuddha. And therefore, Arjuna understands that he is a kshatriya, he is a warrior placed in a given situation. And therefore, situation calls for a response for him that he should fight against the enemy. That he understands. At the same time, so he thinks it is his dharma or the duty to fight. At the same time, he feels that this battle is going to involve the killing of so many people. And therefore, it violates another dharma called ahimsa or non-violence. So non-violence is a fundamental dharma, is a fundamental value, which he believes will be violated by this battle. And therefore he is in conflict. That on one hand, his, his uh, sense of responsibility tells him that he should respond to the situation by participating in the battle. On the other hand, something in his tells him that this is not right, because there is so much destruction and himsa, violence is there. <coughs> and therefore, it makes it a dharma or it doesn't make it righteous. So is it dharma or not? This is his problem. So this is a situational problem, which of course has arisen because his mind is totally confused. On account of that grief which is there, his mind is clouded, his judgment is clouded with reference to a given situation also. So we must say that even what we call topical or situational problems, they also have their origin in the fundamental problem only. Because when one is clear about the realities of life, then even the situations also will not present in problems. Because that clarity is there. But when that clarity of reality is not there, then the you are not able to judge the situations properly, then there is a confusion in the situation also. And Arjuna represents that confusion also. <coughs> And that confusion is addressed here by Lord Krishna. Iha parmasatattvapekshayam shoko mohova na sambhoti dhuktam It is said in last 20 verses that 
from the standpoint of the ultimate reality or from the standpoint of realities, shoko moho anasambhavadi, that there is no cause for grief or delusion if the order of realities is understood properly. Na kevalam paramachatattva pekshayameva kintu. Nishankarajara says that not only there is no... says even if you understand your duty then also there is no cause for grief and thus that lesson for duty is given in subsequent verses as applicable specifically to Arjuna <coughs> the spirit again applies to everyone the situation particular situation belongs to Arjuna but then all people also in various situations are confronted very often with different conflicts and whenever there is a conflict, this, the spirit of this teaching is applicable in our situational problems also. And that is started from the verse 31. Svadharmo vichaveksha navikambitu manhasi dharmyadiyuddhachrayonyada kshatriyasya vidyade. Svadharmo vichaveksha. Even considering svadharma, hey Arjuna, considering your own dharma. Svodharmaha, Svadharmaha, one's own dharma. <coughs> what is this dharma? Now, dharma means duty, generally speaking. But what is the basis for duty? When the scriptures, different people are enjoying different duties, is it regardless of the people or are the duties generally enjoined keeping in mind the aptitude and disposition of the people? The answer is yes. That the Veda of the scriptures, when they enjoin duties, that this is what you should do, this is what you should do, this is what you should do. And therefore, in India, the whole society was divided, generally speaking, in four classes, with reference to the disposition of mind. Subsequently, the whole system got polluted and corrupted and degenerated into a situation where it is presently very unfortunate. But this system, caste system as it is called, dividing the whole society, and that will be mentioned in the fourth chapter, how the society is divided, not with reference to the birth, but the reference to the aptitude and the capabilities or disposition of mind. And four kinds of disposition of mind were recognized. They exist in every society. Every society has its four kinds of people. Then, in India, the people were those who recognized it and accordingly organized the society. Elsewhere, there is not spoken organization or an explicit organization and people perhaps respond to a given situation in a given way. But in India, recognizing the disposition of the people, society was actually organized in what we call four working classes, <coughs> which were called caste and different kinds of work was assigned to these four classes depending upon their disposition or aptitude. The first is the three there are three qualities or three gunas, three dispositions of the mind sattva, rajas and tamas. That sattva means tranquility. We'll have a chance to discuss that in Tattvavoda also. So sattva means tranquility or purity. When the mind is tranquil pure, quiet, contemplative, learning, thinking, inquiring, creative. So this is the 
disposition of mind that is called sattva. Usually you might say that all the thinkers, the think tanks that we have, you know, they are the people who can be called sattvic people because they are highly evolved or intelligent people who are contemplative or thinking people. The scientists or the writers, thinkers, poets, all of these can fall in the category of the people who possess that sattvic mind. <coughs> and they are best suited for learning and teaching. So learning and teaching can best be done by the people who possess that disposition of mind. So they were called Brahmanas. Brahmanas are the people who learn the scriptures and teach. This was their job primarily. At the same time, they teach what is dharma to the rest of the society. And so they were teachers and advisors, consultants. <coughs> Second is a class of people who have rajas or activity which is predominant in them, followed by sattva, meaning those people who are active, so who are world-wise, so wise with reference to the world. But then their wisdom is followed by sattva, meaning they have a, service, a spirit of service. People who are active, who possess leadership qualities, and basically people who have a spirit of sacrifice. So they have rajas followed by sattva. Rajas is activity. But activity followed by sattva means activity which is basically directed towards service to the society, which activity involves a certain sense of sacrifice. They possess leadership quality. They possess the wisdom of the world. They possess the sense of judgment. They, they are the rulers, leaders. So that is the other class of people. They were called Kshatriya. And Arjuna belonged to that class. So this is also the warrior class, king class, leader class, that class which possesses the prowess as well as a, a spirit of service or sacrifice. They were called Kshatriyas. And it was their job. The kings were always, kings always came from this class of people. Brahmins who are supposed to be the best in terms of the caste are not the kings or the rulers or even the leaders. Who were the rulers? These Kshatriyas. Because you have to be wise with reference to world. You must have leadership, organizational qualities. You must have that courage and the prowess also when a situation calls for it. And so Kshatriyas supposedly possess these qualities. And so they were the warrior class or the leader or the king class people. And their job was to protect the dharma, righteousness, and to protect the people. <coughs> Third was the category of people where rajas, activity, followed by tamas, and final was sattva. So these were the people who are business class people. Who are, who are also very active and worldly wise, who also wisdom about the world. But their activity is not followed by sattva. That means it, is, it doesn't have, they don't have what we call that sense of service or sacrifice. But their activity is followed by tamas, meaning they are more selfish people. So they will produce all right, but always will look for a self-benefit. So they are basically what we call the business class people, the marketing, the producers. So agriculture and uh, the cattle and all these uh, business, all these trades were done by these people. So they were the business people, the traders who would produce and distribute. 
at a profit. But at the same time, on account of the fact that they produce and distribute, they serve the society, but they do take their own profit. And finally are the people who have tamas in predominance. Tamas means inactivity, dullness. They do not have an inspiration. They do not have that thinking capacity. They do not have leadership capacity also. And never they totally depend upon instruction. They are basically good for physical service, physical work, what we may call the labor class people, who need to be organized, who need to be led, who need to be instructed, and therefore they are best in working with their hands and legs. The Brahmins are best in working with their heads. Kshatriyas are best in working with their arms. The Vaishyas are best in working with the distribution. And the Shudra, the fourth class, is best in working with their legs, etc. So, uh, performance of physical action. In every society, we find these four kinds of people. In every organization also we'll find. In every home we'll find. In every, uh, organi- in every organization we'll find. Suppose there is a factory and there is a business. In the factory you'll find people who are consultants, who are thinkers, who are advisors. Then you'll find that are Brahmins. You'll find second class of people who are managers, they're the leaders, they're the kshatriyas. Third, you'll find people, accountants, finance, marketing, they're all business people, vaishyas. And fourth, you'll find the floor, shop floor people, who basically contribute by physical service. So, if we didn't have all these four, no task could ever be complete. For completion of any task, for organization of any group or society, all these four classes of people are always needed and they are always there in the society. And the, uh, that is how the work distribution was carried out in the olden days. <coughs> and as we said, the dharma, Arjuna, happens to be belong to the warrior class or the leader class, the kshatriya. And therefore, their dharma is to protect the, their duty is to protect the society, to protect dharma or the order or the righteousness, to follow the dharma in their own life and demonstrate it, at the same time to implement the law wherever necessary in order to protect the dharma also. So be dharmic, be righteous in their own life, at the same time punish the evil when necessary and, uh, and protect, protect the righteousness in the society. This was their dharma, and that's the reason why Arjuna finds himself in a battlefield. <coughs> Whether he likes it or not, he finds himself in a situation, having to do his duty of a Kshatriya on a warrior. And so keeping this in mind, keeping Arjuna's particular situation, and Arjuna's particular nature. So everyone has inherited a nature, everyone has inherited a disposition, and therefore, some particular kind of work will be based depending upon a disposition. So the one has business qualities, you ask him to become a leader, he won't be successful. One has leadership qualities, you ask him to think, you know, uh, perhaps that will be difficulty. One is a thinker, ask him to work on the floor, he won't be successful. And like this, so that's the reason why we have qualifications. Every organization always advertises qualifications and we interview people and we judge their aptitude and thus give them proper assignment. It's not that everybody is suited for every assignment. Everybody is suited for a particular kind of assignment. And 
that's the reason why the duties basically depend upon the disposition of the people, a disposition which one has brought with oneself. <coughs> so, with this background then we will be able to understand what Lord Krishna is saying in these subsequent verses. That we'll see on Monday now, next. <coughs> Om Purnamadaf Purnamidam Purnat Purnamudachade Purnasya Purnamadaya Purnameva Vashishyade Om Shanti 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 Shankaram Shankaracharyam Keshavam Badarayanam Sutra Bhashyakrutau Vande Bhagavanta Punafpunaha Ishvara Guru Ratmeti Murti Bheda Vibhagine Vyoma Vadvyapta Dehaya Dakshina Murtaye Namaha Om Shanti 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 Hari Om Shri Gurubhyo Namaha Hari Om